Welcome to the e-commerce lab by Ecomsi. This is the place for everything related to Amazon's private label and e-commerce. Learn exactly what you need to start or scale your business. Get insights from the top industry experts who will discuss the latest trends and best practices in the world of Amazon. From choosing products and sourcing from a supplier to setting up your Amazon account and marketing your business, you will hear it here. Let's get started. Here is your host, Vincenzo Toscano. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Commerce Lab by Ecomsi, the place of everything related to Amazon FBA, probably on e-commerce. My name is Vincenzo Toscano, founder and CEO of Ecomsi, your host today. And today we bring you a very special guest. His name is Pargetz, uh, which actually uh, he works for quite light, but not only that, he has an amazing experience when it comes to e-commerce, being in the space for over 20 years. He was even featured in Shark Tank, which I'm pre- pretty sure he's going to share a little bit about that journey as well. And the reason why I wanted to bring Pat today is uh, we actually met in, in Mexico a couple of months back, and I saw his experience when it comes to helping a businesses exit. And I think that's a very interesting topic that we're going to be touching today, basically how you can increase your valuation, what are some of the tips you can implement in 2023 for exit, and much more. So, Pat, it's a pleasure to have you here, my friend. How are you doing? That's good. I mean, that was a heck of an intro. I got to live up to that. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I have enough experience to be able to do that, but I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here today. It was great meeting you down there. Thank you, bro. It's a pleasure to have you here. I think uh, I definitely admire your journey so far in the commerce space and everything you have done, and it's very inspiring. And now what you're doing with Quite Light, which we're going to be touching in a couple of minutes. But I think before we jump into that and the topic, I think I want to pick a little bit of your brain in terms of, you know, your background into the commerce yeah. space and how you actually even jump in the space in the first place, because I'm pretty <laughs> sure people is going to find this uh, very interesting and even inspiring for them. So maybe you can give us a little bit of that, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that if I go all the way back, I'm really old. So these people will be able to age me. <laughs> I started my first business actually in 1990. Um, in wow. Ohio. It was a service-based business. Actually, was uh, ironically a coffee company. So my first business, I actually had one man, one truck. I would sell accounts to offices and buildings and vending machines. And it was just me. And I was out trying to sell accounts, fill them I just knew I wanted to have a business, actually. Yeah. Ironically, I lived in Louisville, Kentucky at the time where I live now before I went to Columbus. And my wife and I had been married just a few months. And I went home and told her I met a guy who was doing a, a franchise-based program in Columbus, Ohio for coffee. And that we were going to do that. And we were going to move there. It just was a decision I made. And and she didn't, she'd never been to Columbus. <laughs> we started that business. I sold it a couple of years after. We moved to Nashville okay. after our first son was born. And I started an independent coffee company that wasn't a, a franchise. And I sold that okay. one two years later. And that's what led me to retail. I actually started doing kiosks in malls mm. in the early okay. mid-1990s when it was really kind of a boom, <clears throat> excuse me, to have a, a kiosk in a mall. And ironically, the ones in the middle, basically, the ones in the middle of the hall, you will say, right? Those yeah, it's a horrible business now. Nobody really gets <laughs> the mall all the time. And malls now close whatever they want to. It's I weird. know. So anyway, but my father and his wife were kind of following my footsteps. They were looking to retire and they wanted to do some kiosks. They did a kiosk here in Louisville, Kentucky, where they found these slippers at the uh, Atlanta Gift Mart. Okay. So start, they started Happy Feet Slippers with one kiosk in Louisville, Kentucky. I bought it in 2001 and ended up with almost 300 locations independently mm, operating wow. across the country. And that's kind of what built my e-com funnel. 
Um, it's ironic because we put the name of the website, buyhappyfeet.com, on the back of the slippers. So whenever our independent operators would sell them, and they'd only run it for November, December, then they would close down and everybody would buy them on my site. So we sort of Interesting. built them. Mm. Okay. We got on Amazon in 2008 or so. I did a license with Snooki, which was kind of by accident. That's an interesting mm. story in itself. Okay. Um, he was a fan of our product, worn on Jersey Shore, and we got a lot of attention out of that. Then in 2014, I did Shark Tank, obviously. Um, wow. and really big. Big for, fan of the show, by the way. It's, yeah, yeah, it's very good. I'm inspiring yeah, to that. If, yeah. if you want to fall asleep one night, you can watch my episode. It, it'll do that for you. It'll put you to sleep nice. pretty quick. It does. I will, <laughs> I will check it out. Yeah, so I did the Shark Tank, and then I did the update. I did Beyond the Tank, which was actually canceled. It was a terrible show. So I did all three. Mm. For a few people that did that. And then if you fast forward into 2015, I met Mark Doust, who is the uh, founder and uh, president or founder and CEO of Quiet Light, who is still yep. involved in the business. And we discussed selling my company in 2015. But the biggest thing was we sort of struck up a friendship and I stayed in touch with him. And, and then in 2020, when things were exploding with aggregators, he yes. came back to me, said, Pat, he said, you've exited several businesses. You know what we do. I'd love you to come in mm -hmm. and work with us and, you know, and work with some of the best entrepreneurs in the world and selling companies. So I was fortunate enough to, to uh, get involved with Quiet Light um, a few years ago. And even though I've exited several businesses myself and I understood it, it's a whole different thing being on the other side. Mm -hmm. It's really good for me because I'm passionate about helping entrepreneurs exit their business. I'm not perfect for every person, neither is Quiet Light, but we yeah. take a very hands-on approach to being able to help entrepreneurs build and, and scale and exit their business. It's not always a race. So I started that and uh, I still own my Shark Tank Ecom business, Happy Feet Slippers. Um, and so I'm kind of a busy entrepreneur, but my main concentration is on quiet life. Wow. What entrepreneur, man. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I mean, just the fact that you've been coming all this way, all these years, and you've been doing all these amazing projects like Shark Tank, your own business, even retailing is like you have touched so many areas, you know? <laughs> and, well, I, and I bet when it comes to doing yeah. the consulting for this business with Carla, you add so much value because you, you basically understand all these business units that most people that do only e-commerce will never have that kind of mindset. I, I bet that helps you a lot when, when it comes to identifying the right business for exit, right? Yeah, I don't think there's any question. And, and, and I tell you the thing about being an entrepreneur and doing what I've done. You know, I've done licenses with Disney, with DreamWorks. You know, we do NFL, mm. Major League Baseball. And we've done retail, we've done kiosks, we've done online, pretty much anything you can touch of selling goods. I've had a hand in at some point in the last 20 years. So what I try to do is just utilize that knowledge to really help people, um, you know, build their business more than anything. The truth is quite light. I, I probably list less than 5% of the businesses I talk to, but 95% of them or a hundred percent of them, I try to actively help them understand yeah. how to get better versus asking them just to list their business. So I probably do more free consulting than I do selling. I yeah. bet, which is actually on that note brings me to my first question, which is, I mean, as you say, in 2020, we had this big explosion of private investors and basically aggregators coming to, into the game to basically buying all these Amazon brands. But we know the, the ecosystem when it comes to buying Amazon brands has been changing completely from 2020 to 2023. Um, and basically, my first question for our audience today is basically, if you can help us just bring to the table, what are some of the key factors you've been seeing that now are driving the valuation for the Amazon business in 2023? Because I feel like it's completely different compared to 2020. And now people that are investing into buying Amazon brands, they have a different 
completely like filter and, and scope when it comes to looking into a business. Um, and maybe you can give us some insights about what are some of those key things investors are looking at uh, when it comes to buying a, a business in 2023 for Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And actually, if your listeners listen to multiple podcasts, since I told you I do the quiet light podcast about three weeks ago, we're, I have to date this. We're in June right now, 23. Yeah. About three or four weeks ago on the podcast, we did an update of what the market was from 2020 to 2023. It's very informative with two other mm. uh, advisors, Brad Whalen and Chris Wozniak, as well as Joe Valley. And we talked about the market in the con compare and contrast. So if they'd like to listen to that, I think it's a deeper conversation. From awesome. a, a 30,000 foot view, the market is still okay. Aggregators were only about 30% of the business we sold. That's what people are sort of shocked at. And 2020. Mm -hmm. It was only about 30%. 70% were individual buyers still, even when the aggregator boom was. But it was the larger volume uh, or size of the businesses and stuff that they sucked up. What I think the aggregator model did, the people that actually sold in that and got like five and six offers hit like the perfect vacuum of timing because there were so many people bidding for businesses because they were all flush with cash. Everyone had yeah. millions of dollars to spend. So they thought, well, if I spend another 50 to 100,000 more on a business, then it doesn't matter. I have the cash. The problem was they didn't realize they were overpaying on a multiple. So a lot of that, you know, was, was hard to handle as far as buying at the high end of the market that hurt the aggregator. The second thing that hurt the aggregator was not bringing along the owners in hindsight, mm -hmm. that is probably the biggest problem because while an aggregator thinks there's economies of scale and all these things we can do when we buy a company, they don't operate it like the owner does. Yeah. And they needed to keep those people. People know now the SBA regulations have now changed as of May where you can roll equity and you can do seller notes. And honestly, I think that was a direct reaction to why the others failed, because I think the SBA realizes that the entrepreneur going forward, any kind of purchase might be a really big thing. So now they've changed their regulations. So how's the market different? It was really easy in 2020, 2021 to sell companies. Now it's more challenging. The business needs to be in a better position. There's really only two kinds of businesses coming into us right now, flat or slightly up or really on a decline. And most of them are on a decline. You've got tightening credit markets, which is really hurting a lot of entrepreneurs. You know, that's that's a difficult situation for people to handle. I still believe that the market is good for good businesses. If you have one on a decline of 20 to 30 percent, you're going to get beat up if that's happened for the last five to six months. But you just have to be realistic about the multiple. When you talk about multiples, I think they're off maybe a quarter to a half point possibly. So if you were at three, five or three, seven, five, you're probably more like three, two, five or three, five now, depending on your sales trend. I've been talking more to entrepreneurs about digging in for another year, letting the market mm -hmm. get better and improving their businesses than I have listing them. And I feel like, and everyone at Quite Light does that. I mean, like some M&A firms, and there's a lot of great ones out there. Yeah. I don't grudge anyone. They always, they have to get business. They're looking to get listings. We're mm -hmm. more advising when the right time is because we're yeah. all entrepreneurs like them and we still own these businesses. And a lot of times it's going to take more preparation in this market than it would at any other time. I don't know if that answers your question, but it's kind of a yes. problem. Yeah, it does. Of course, of course. And I think just quickly going back to the multiple, I think that's something that even mm -hmm. when we talk with our clients, that's the number one thing that is basically a making people like regretting you know, making that decision two years ago, one year ago, because they were comparing the multiples of when all that money had to be deployed because basically aggregators had to deploy the money. So they were overpaying. And now uh, they're realizing that they're not getting the same multiples. And now they start thinking, oh, it's actually a bad moment to sell my brand. It's a, it's a good one. So that's why I see a lot of confusion because they're trying to compare 
the current situation with what happened two years ago, which yeah. two years ago, it wasn't really a, 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 um, an ideal scenario. It was artificially inflated by all the money coming to the market, which didn't really reflect the reality of of the yeah. of, of the market so, right and um, and on top of that i think um you also touched on something very interesting which i want to go more in depth which is timing i feel like when people is doing very well with their business in terms of their brand they, they're scaling and they're growing that's where i feel that's usually the best moment to sell because that's usually when you have a uh, your business uh, with the best face forward but i i, I actually i want i, I want to hear your take on this because actually i see founders when the opposite when the business is going downwards so maybe they have tried everything and nothing work out that's when they actually decide to exit and maybe it's not the ideal timing for exiting so what is your take on this when it comes to timing when is the right moment for exiting yeah i mean i think less about the value of the business and where it is financially in the sale when you're talking about timing and more about the entrepreneur at the day when the entrepreneur wakes up and says i don't feel like doing this again anymore it's okay. definitely time to sell but there are market-driven things that could, you know, move people in a position to sell. I, I just never, I never like to tell someone to list or not to list. It has to be a feeling the entrepreneur has. Okay. There's a certain amount of money you need. There's an aggravation tax to holding on any business because you have to keep running it if you're tired of doing it. I think the timing is best when you say, I think I've taken it as far as I can. Mm -hmm. I think that I'd like my next challenge, and this is in a decent place to sell. The last thing I really want people to concentrate on when they're selling is the cash. But yeah. inevitably, that's the big question. They want to know what they're going to walk away with. But, you know, if you like I have a, a business, ironically, that's trying to sell right now that probably could wait a year and a half, keep running it. And you'd have the same money could tank it. Some mm -hmm. people are willing to take less for a business because they don't want to be in a position where they have to hold on to it anymore, or maybe they can't hold on to it anymore. I mean, think about credit markets, ClearCo and all these companies that are doing short-term financing, that money is drying up. And, yeah. and entrepreneurs that relied on that now have to find either conventional financing or something else at a high rate in a very difficult market. So I think a lot of entrepreneurs are really trying to hold on in 2023 and continue their business till the market improves and or the economy improves, which is really what's needed. But if you have a good business, it's not a lot different than 20 or 20 or 2021 yeah. because people are looking for good businesses. Yes, 100%. And I think now uh, going back to um, the exit uh, conversation, uh, a lot of things I get also when talking to people, uh, people ask me, okay, I want to exit my business, but at the same time, I want a uh, they start thinking about what are the factors that can help them get the highest multiple evaluation. And they start thinking, okay, maybe in Amazon, I feel I have done most of the things I can do. They start testing like Walmart, they start testing their own website, they start testing social media. And the reason why I bring this to the table to discuss with you is because I feel sometimes I have heard, and I wanna hear your take on this, this not necessarily means is going to add you a high a higher multiple valuation just for the sake of having external channels outside of Amazon. So what is your experience with this? It's really that huge difference when it comes to proposing a business to a, an investor to have all these extra channels. Or well, it's all about the actual efficiency and profitability these channels bring because we, you can have 100 channels, but if they don't actually bring, you know, the yeah. money, <laughs> what's the point? I think yeah. there's ways to look at that. Number one, I don't think any buyers ever said you have too many verticals. Like you do okay. Target and you do eBay. That's just not worth it. No one says that as a buyer. They'd okay. like to see the wide opportunity. They'd like to see the scope of what something can have. 
But at the end of the day, it's about what you sell on either Shopify or Amazon. That's what 90% of this comes down to. 80-20 Amazon or 100% Amazon is what a lot of the aggregators have looked for, and it's a lot of what new buyers are looking for. Does that mean that Walmart and Target and all those other marketplaces don't matter? No, but it just that's what's going to drive the bus as far as understanding evaluation. The other markets, they know that they're going to get and they're going to get some revenue for it, but it's not part of the decision making in the buyer, I don't think. Now, would they see it as an opportunity if you didn't have Walmart or Target or whatever mm -hmm. the marketplaces are? Sure. So I don't think there's a negative either way to that. As long as your Amazon and Shopify are well-oiled, then you're at 90% of your sales. I haven't even seen anyone come in with a significant Walmart presence or anything selling that's caused any kind of an issue. Nice, nice. Uh, now, when it comes to the type of businesses, also uh, by talking to people, I have seen that certain aggregators they are changing the type of categories they are focusing on so i've been hearing lately a lot of people is focusing more towards baby pets yeah. uh, home etc and i wanted to hear if that's the same kind of behavior we are seeing with with, with the clients you consult are, are you seeing like it's definitely a shift that is going outside of more competitive categories such as supplements electronics and all of that or you still or you think there's still a big opportunity on those categories that we all know are, are are becoming more and more competitive saturated yeah that's that's a really good question um i mean i think you mentioned them i mean pet child yeah. home, all those are really simple they're always going to be evergreens mm -hmm. that people are going to want to buy because mm -hmm. you can be very creative in those spaces those are still the top ones you know if you i think sometimes it matters a little more you know how proprietary your product yeah. is it's more than anything you know like if you're reselling a pet brand online mm -hmm. It's not yeah. as it's having a proprietary, uh, I don't know, dog bowl line, for instance. Yeah. So I think that it, it more depends on the mode around it, the protection of trademark and other things and the strength of the business. I do think there's some verticals that, that have changed a little bit because 2020 definitely was like, I can remember 2020, anything you could do outside was selling like crazy. Like I sold a <laughs> magnet fishing business. You know what magnet fishing is? Uh, no, I've never heard of that. Did I? <laughs> I had no idea. Like, how do you catch a fish with a magnet? I don't understand. Yeah. And I met with a guy and it was about throwing these, these magnets into rivers and lakes and pulling up artifacts, bikes, mm, okay. guns, guns, like right off the edge. Wow. For that. Okay. I had no idea what it was. We ended up selling that business. You know, I, I don't want to give the guys an hour, but it was a, a hefty price. Then I turned around and sold another outdoor weightlifting equipment thing. So in 2020, all those things were moving. Anything you could do because everyone was home. Everyone was, you know, yeah. uh, putting on the mask for some reason. And they just all sold. Those spaces are still doing well, just not to the intensity level. Like I talked with a company this morning that had a, a dog line. And they're yeah. back to the sales number they did pre-COVID. They, they had that same. Then they had the bump. And mm -hmm. now they're back to the normal number. Makes it look like a decline. Yeah. But it just became crazy what had happened in, in during that. So sometimes we're still dealing with COVID, COVID normalization in numbers. But, you know, the verticals are still very similar as that people want. For sure. And and that's interesting that you call it a COVID normalization. That's a good way to name it because, yeah, sometimes when we have mm -hmm. also meetings where clients, we have seen that sometimes they have expectations uh, re related to COVID times. And the reality is that that's not the, the norm of the market. You know, we definitely seen some decline across certain baselines in some categories. And it's something that, you know, for our listeners and viewers, important that you understand that if you are seeing that right now, it's not only you, it's a market that is basically normalizing after the basic explosion that happened on e-commerce due to COVID. Um, now, 
I think some people other thing I, I think that people think that the aggregator model has changed multiples in in the way yeah. they, it has a little bit but it's still more probably contributing to the strength of businesses being listed right now you know mm -hmm. entrepreneurs are really tired they're really tired. We had the yes. import issue where containers were five times what they were the year before. A mess. <laughs> yeah, that we have now. We have an economy. Whether you you think the economy is good or bad, it's it's really not great. So you've got all these concurrent things that have happened over a year and a half or so, and all these entrepreneurs are just worn out. And that's where a lot of people are listing because there's too much strife in e-commerce now. The people that can wait that out are probably going to benefit very well. For sure. For sure. Good to say that. Um, now, people that might be listening and watching this, they might wonder, okay, when is the right timing in terms of revenue and, and profitability? Because I know that right now when it comes to the interest that investors and aggregators are having, it's going a little bit higher. They are basically, I have seen from personal experience, and maybe you correct me here, that now they're focusing on bigger businesses and brands like the smaller to medium, they're having less opportunity when it comes to exit. I'm, I'm feeling that. And I wanted to hear if that's the same you're feeling. Like, are you seeing that? And if so, what are the, the, the bandwidth in terms of revenue that you would advise people to, once they reach that bracket, to really think about exit based on the current panorama? Yeah. I think that's a relative thing. I mean, look, I mean, okay. like, you know, typically if you're making, if your profit, including ad max, which would be like, yeah. oh, salary phone things like that is less than 60 to eighty thousand dollars it's hard to list only because it's it's such a niche sale and it's and it's expensive fee against it but yeah. revenue is more tied to how the business is doing like i like businesses that you know do five hundred thousand in revenue and make a hundred and twenty thousand those are those mm. are good businesses but if you but the way you got to think about it is is you want to be on an increase even if it's five ten twelve fifteen percent I'm seeing a lot of business coming in 10, 20, 25, 30, 40% down a month. That's mm -hmm. what we have. So I think that size only matters in a sense of the trend. Because now, obviously, if you have a business making 100,000, it's going to be a different multiple than one making 500, which is a different multiple of one making a million. So the better that you do your, in your sales, the better your results going to be as the price. But we don't fear having small businesses coming in and listing in the $150,000, $200,000 range. It just needs to be moving in a good direction. You hope to have a moat around it. You hope to have a trademark. There are four pillars of a sale. The first okay. one is risk. Okay, so let's talk mm. about risk. What's risky? Too, way too many SKUs or way too few SKUs mm. be risky. Yeah. Anything in the middle is better. If your sales are on a growth, that's a great thing. If, if they're on a, on a decline, then it's, it adds risk. The second is, um, well, I said risk. The second one's growth. I kind of went into that one. If you're having good growth, that's a positive. The third pillar is transferability. Most of our sellers don't have problems with transferability. They have a Shopify store, an Amazon store, maybe a trademark or whatever it's going to be, warehouse, 3PL, they have to move on. All those things matter. But if you have, let's say, a contract with a vendor that's only you that can deal with it and they don't want to deal with the next person, then you have transferability problems. Yeah. And the last one is documentation. Make sure that your financials, your SOPs and everything are in good order. If you do all those things and you're doing decent amount of sales and profit, you can still exit your business. And it's just a matter of who you work with. I think that the reason that Quiet Light's a little different for people is mm -hmm. we're willing to have that hard conversation early. We're willing to turn down a listing to say you need six months to get better. You know, yeah. or you can go list with someone else that if you think you can get it from someone else, great. 
but we don't want to put you in a position where you can fail by listing at the wrong amount. And I think sometimes people will listen to the wrong person with relation to valuation. They won't get a realistic valuation and then they'll find out that they can't sell it. And that really hurts you going because mm-hmm. then you can't relist it in a good position. So sales yeah. matter, but it just needs to be on a decent trend. Yeah. Very good advice. That one. And now to conclude today's episode, another question I would like to pick your brain on is the type of exit we're seeing in 2023. So what I mean by this is like, are you seeing right now that exits are more cash based, like a full exit, or you see more earn out uh, within the formula? Are you seeing more and more common now, as you mentioned at the beginning, founders being part of the exit journey for the next 12 months after us? What are you seeing is the norm uh, right now in 2023 when it comes to the setup of the exit uh, for most businesses? Well, you kind of got to push and pull in this. Um, a okay. lot of the f- deals you did in 2020, 2021, people didn't think about doing owner financing, they would do it immediately or an equity role, uh, stability payments, things like that. And then they started not getting paid. A lot of them. One knows yeah. this, that aggregators stopped paying some of those earnouts. Matter of fact, I have two or three people that had to walk away from money uh, because the business yeah. basically tanked. So I think that when you look at what kind of deal you're going to want, it's a little, there's a lot of pushback on those stability notes, equity roles and, and seller notes. But now the SBA, if it's SBA pre-approved, is helping you in that. They'll, they'll let you do a seller note inside an SBA deal so you can still use the government's money to buy a business under that. You also have the ability to roll equity for that owner and maybe help them grow. So as an example, if I have a business that's on a 20 or 30% downturn, but it's a brand and it can turn around, maybe they're out of money, they don't have enough, you could take on a partner, hold 20%, sell part of it, and then when the business grows back, they can take a second exit and hopefully make more money for it. This is a great mm. development in SBA to get eligible. So I think that it just really depends. If I'm seeing the kind of deals, I, I, I matter of fact, I got an offer on a business I had yesterday. It was okay. two structures. One of them had a, a 15% earn out and one had a 10% earn out. He gave mm. the, the seller two options of what they'd like to do. And then obviously they can counter back. I think the best thing for any buyer to do is be flexible in, in terms of how you acquire the business and how you value the entrepreneur. Typically, yeah. if you're a buyer, the best thing you can do is be the nicest person he talks to because money talks in a sense of a sale. No one really takes the lowest offer because they like the guy. Yeah, but there are situations where they decide they want the entrepreneur and they go back and hard negotiate to try to work with the right person. So I think yeah. if you approach it that way. You be differential to the entrepreneur. You make sure that you understand that they're valued. And I think you can get any deal done. But I don't think the deal structure is a whole lot different than it was before, you know, on different numbers. Nice. Very good, Pat. So thank you very much for all the knowledge and insights. I appreciate it. Uh, It's been a pleasure to have you on on the show. I want to um, use the last minute or so so you can give us a little bit more about where people can reach out to you. And I'm quite light because I'm pretty sure a lot of people may want to ask you questions or maybe get in contact with you to get a valuation and exit their business. So can you give us a little bit of that? Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I'll tell your your uh, your listeners, a lot of times people don't want to be sold. So they don't reach out because they just don't want to have the yeah. hassle of someone emailing yeah. them. That's not what we yeah. do. <laughs> what we think is that you need the perfect information. This is the biggest transaction most people ever have in their life. For sure. You think about yeah. it. Some people will sell a house. That's great. That's a big transaction, especially if you own it free and clear. 
but your yeah. business is probably the biggest transaction. So you mm -hmm. want as much information around you as you can. The way yeah. that I approach my clients, you come in, we do evaluation, we get a simple report we need out of QuickBooks or whatever you use. We look at the business, you know, quality, we look at the site, we look at Amazon, and then we do a simple meeting of here's where we think you are. Why that's important is you want to set a baseline and then a goal. Where's your goal and how are you going to get here? So we go through the financials. We tell you actionable tips, things we think can work. If you need referrals, we put you with people we know. So we try to help you get to the valuation you want. A lot of people think what we're going to do is try to sell you on listing your business. Yeah. You'll know when it's right. So if people want to reach out to me. That's what we try to do is give you the basic information you need and actionable tips to make it better. Whenever you're ready to list, if we're the people you use, great. So you can reach out to me um, at Quiet Light. It's Pat, P as in Paul, A as in Apple, T as in Tom, at quietlight.com. And I'm happy to talk to you about anything, give you any resources we can get. Um, we have 14 amazing advisors. If you just went into the site and filled out an info form uh, about listing your business, you may get another guy. We have so many smart people. It's unbelievable. We have yeah. two guys who wrote best-selling books. We have mm -hmm. two ladies I've ever seen that are advisors. Just yeah. an amazing group. You'll be in good hands at Quiet Light either way. Awesome, Pat. I appreciate your time and thank you for being here and looking forward to have you in the next one for sure. This is something that for sure every single year we're going to have a new conversation about this very interesting topic. So can't wait to have you again. Yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can do that and talk about the e-com side sometime. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you, Pat. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye. See ya. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The E-Commerce Lab by EcomC. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. While you are at it, we would appreciate it if you could leave an honest rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. That will make it easier for others to find out about the show and benefit from it. Want more? Visit our website at www.ecomc.com where you can get your first consultation for free. Or... Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn at ecomc.